This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. That is Matthew 12, 22. And guys, I just got to tell you, if you didn't think demons were real, then you haven't been paying attention to the pro-abortion crowd in the last week and a half or so. You want to talk about a group of people that needs Jesus, we'll get way more to them here in a second. Before we go on, guys, I just want to thank you so much for everybody that left all the five-star reviews in the last week. Keep those coming. If you have not done so, we got to counteract some of those one-star reviews. Oh, I don't like the ads. Oh, the music's too aggressive, blah, blah, We need you guys. Keep making sure that this show gets out to other people. Leave those reviews and positive five-star reviews, obviously, and beyond that. Got to remind you that we got new swag in the Undaunted Life shop. Guys, we have a new hat and a new t-shirt in the shop. Shirts are 30 bucks. Hats are 40, but you can get the combo for only 60 bucks. But just remember, this is pre-order only. Okay, so we're only doing this for the month of May. We're not going to have a running store year round, but we're going to do merch drops throughout the year. So you can only pre-order that combo or one of the other through May the 31st. We will not be ordering extra to sell later. It may end up working out that way, but I doubt it. So guys, go to www.undaunted.life backslash shop. It will be in the show notes. And a quick PSA on how I do interviews, because this came up uh, and we, we got a lot to cover today, but just want to do a very, very quick PSA, because there are times and I've gotten this feedback from friends. I've gotten this feedback, you know, via email. Hey, why didn't you ask this question when you were talking to so-and-so? Hey, why didn't you press them when, whenever you had them, you know, cornered on this issue or that issue? Or why didn't you ask them another follow-up? Just so you guys can know, when you're listening to one of my interviews, interviews, let's say it's an hour long, you're listening to an hour long interview and that is your only connection to that, to that interview whatsoever right? You're not interacting with that person. You're not thinking through the questions. You also haven't spent hours and hours reading that person's books, you know, going over some of their other interviews that they've done, putting together a, you know, kind of a narrative arc with the questions that you're asking. And a lot of times guys, I don't know how long I'm going to have with these people until I get on with them. There've been people I thought I was going to have them for an hour. And I was like, yeah, they're, they're, you know, Hey, I can do 20, 25 minutes. And then there's other times where it's like, yeah, we can do, you know, two hours. It doesn't really matter. So as I'm going through the interview, I'm looking at all the questions that I've planned for and thinking about how much time we have left. And so that even came up with Joby Martin, the interview that we did for earlier this week. Hey, why didn't you nail him on this? And hey, why didn't you push him a little bit further on that? Well, I'm looking at the clock, buddy. And and that's mainly the reason. But the thing is, is I love that you guys are so into the interviews and so into the questions that I'm asking, because I do have you in mind whenever I'm kind of going through all those different things. So guys, if you ever have feedback like that, keep sending it my way, because it always makes me aware that there are those questions out there that you guys want to get to. All right. Now, in the quick hitter segment for today, we're going to discuss wokeness on college campuses in Oklahoma, a unanimous SCOTUS decision on religious liberty that no one is talking about, the baby formula shortage that no one was really talking about until this week. You know, I did have these show notes ready to go before Ben Shapiro mentioned it, before, you know, anybody else on the major stage mentioned it. We're also going to talk about the FDA restricting, and I got to be careful here, the J and J C word, V word because of life-threatening blood clot issues and the CDC tracking U.S. citizens. But today we're obviously going to be spending the overwhelming amount of our time talking about the Supreme Court opinion leak, which signals that Roe v. Wade and, you know, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, that they're apparently about to be no mas. They are on the ropes, just begging that they don't get hit with that knockout blow. Now, to get my knee-jerk response to the breaking news that came last Monday, go back to episode 305 of this podcast. I basically recorded that podcast 30 minutes after I had kind of read through everything, read through the political article, so you can get my knee-jerk reactions there. 
And right from the top, I know I release two episodes a week, but, but this is really, really important. I usually release one interview on Tuesdays and then a regular episode on Thursdays, and sometimes we switch it up. But to all of you that are listening to this right now, I am imploring you to add a third Undaunted Life of Man's podcast episode to your rotation this week. And for many of you, it's going to be an episode that you've heard of before and that you've actually listened to before. But even if you haven't, even if you have, go back to episode 257 of this podcast, okay? It's called How to Engage Pro-Abortion Arguments. I'll leave it in the show notes so it's easy for you guys. But again, just scroll, scroll, scroll until you get to episode 257. In that episode, I talked about abortion by the numbers. I talked about different abortion procedures to kind of, you know, take the veil off so you could actually know what was going on. I talked about how to engage you know, popular pro-abortion arguments and some of the uh, objections that I equipped you to defeat are, we don't know when life begins. My body, my choice. What about heart cases like rape and incest? You know, what if abortion is necessary to save the life of the mother? I equip you guys to deal with all of those. That is one of the most important podcasts that we've done. We're over 300 episodes now. That is like top five most important podcasts that I've done on this entire show. So you got to go and check that out. So, Let's get into last week, or I guess the last week and a half's worth of craziness. So John Roberts last week, you know, the useless chief justice of the Supreme Court of the United States, he did confirm that the leak occurred uh, with a real written opinion draft from Justice Alito. He did confirm that last week. And many are commenting right off the bat, and I think they're right, that this will make the relationship between the justices in, in a lot of ways in terms of trust almost irreparable. Because these opinions are circulated around by the justices to the other justices with the assumption of trust and confidentiality. And, and I just don't see how that can be repaired at this point. It can be, but it's going to be really, really tough because this all leads me to believe, of course, 100% that this was leaked by a liberal justice and or their staff. Okay, I doubt there was one rogue person just acting on their own. Perhaps that is the case. But this is a good time for all of us to really think about how we'd feel if the shoe were on the other foot. Because I do try to put myself in that in that you know circumstance. Let's say there was a 6-3 liberal majority on the court and there was a, something that was circulated that clearly came from one of the you know conservative justices. How would we be reacting? Because if you're going to be intellectually honest, you got to make sure that you react the same way in those different circumstances. So here's the deal. We need to get into the reactions and the responses. And there were a ton of them. Guys, it's going to be a lot of great content today. So just buckle in. If you're wondering which side of the issue is more moral or virtuous, I just need you to think about the last week and a half and just look at how the far right and the far left on the abortion issue are responding to the leak. Now, Stephen Crowder on his on his show last week, he pointed this out. The extreme right, and I and I agree with this, thinks that there should be no abortions for any reason whatsoever because the new human life is valuable. And that's where I sit. Okay. But the extreme left of this issue is okay with abortion up until the day of birth and then infanticide thereafter birth. We talked about last week about this law in California that will allow the perinatal period. Uh, so if a child dies during the perinatal period, which can last up to 28 days, you know, according to law, after the baby has been born, if that baby dies because the mother did something or didn't do something or somebody did something or didn't do something that would allow that baby to live, they're not going to be charged with any crimes. Okay, so that's what the extreme left believes. The extreme right's like, yeah, we just shouldn't kill people in the womb. So you have to really think about that. Now, we do know this because this has been released. Justice Alito is being hidden in an undisclosed location, and he's not being hidden in an undisclosed location because people on the right are so excited to shake his hand, right? I mean, he's, he's literally in hiding, and I'm sure his family's been placed in different places as well because people on the left are you know, uh, signaling that violence could potentially be imminent because there have been people, and we saw this over the weekend, that they're you know, quote-unquote protesting you know, peacefully outside of the justices' homes. 
Okay. Now you did have the White House come out and they basically refused to specifically condemn protesting outside the justices' homes. You know, they basically cloaked it with, you know, we should be able to protest and the protests haven't been violent and blah, blah, blah. But they're not coming right out and saying that this is ridiculous. And if you're protesting outside of a justice's home in Virginia or something like that, that's actually illegal. That's private property. You can't do that. But it is very interesting to me that people are talking about how the protests, you know, you've heard a lot of people talk about this on the news. They're talking about how these protests outside the justices' houses are overwhelmingly nonviolent. Essentially, we haven't seen any violence. But the reality, guys, and you know this, is that those protests are powder kegs. They can literally explode into violence at any moment. And you're hanging your hat on the fact that nothing's been violent so far. Is that really the best argument? And and the thing that you have to think about when you're thinking about how the far right is reacting to this news versus the far left, I love something that Mark Driscoll said. He, He gave a sermon, I guess, every Wednesday night at his church there in Arizona. They do a men's event called Real Men. And he had this very, very short quote, but it was very, very poignant. He said, we've killed 62 million people. Are we there yet? That's a great question to think through. Because apparently people on the far left of this issue, even on the squishy left of this issue, they don't think 62 million people is nearly enough. They wish there were more babies that had been slaughtered, right? Now, the people of God in the last week and a half, they've been rejoicing. We have absolutely been rejoicing. Well, most of them anyway. We'll get to that in a second. I remember this this weekend at our church, we were doing baby dedications. And so there's a big line of parents. And, you know, I had James and, and Elijah there. And, you know, we're you're dedicating our kids to the Lord and those types of things. But before we all went up on stage to do our baby dedications, the pastor just mentioned that Roe v. Wade could be overturned. And our very conservative, super chilled, not super handsy during worship church broke out into applause and and whistling and I yelled amen. And it was great to see. And I found myself in the last week or so getting choked up just thinking about how many people for the last 50 years have been praying that this day would come. And here we are, perhaps weeks away from it actually coming. It is just absolutely overwhelming. But my good buddy, John Cooper, he mentioned this as well on his show. He talked, it may have been on a show or on, on Twitter. I'm pretty sure it was on a show. But all of the woke kind of leftist Christians, they seemingly don't have anything to say about abortion being overturned, potentially. They're very mum on this topic. But these same people were all too direct about telling you that you were anti-Christian if you didn't support Black Lives Matter, if you didn't post a black square on your Instagram, if, if you, you know, said that, you know, George, if you didn't say that George Floyd was killed by racist cops, you know, these same people said that you were killing people if you didn't wear a mask and get the jab, the people with Micah 6 in their Twitter bio, but all of a sudden they have nothing to say about this, about the sanctity of human life, about the Imago Day potentially making it very more difficult in this country to destroy that. I find that very, very interesting and something we should continue to pay attention to. But also, almost immediately, right-leaning states were moving to protect life, and left-leaning states were moving to allow for the most human destruction possible. Now, this is federalism, okay? This is states' rights, and this is what the framers wanted. So, you know, fundamentally, I'm okay with that, but it is interesting that, that that's the you know, kind of the the two sides that we see. That's how we see them reacting. But in the reactions that I've seen in the last week and a half or so, from both sides, from pro aborts and from people that are pro-life, it reveals that neither side, unfortunately, really understands what Roe v. Wade is. They don't understand the decision at all. Or and they they certainly don't understand federalism in general. Okay. 
because many Democrats and, you know, left-leaning media orgs are quoting the stat that the majority of Americans, you know, they've quoted somewhere between 60 and 70% of Americans don't think that Roe should be overturned. But the reality, obviously, is that most Americans have no earthly idea that Roe v. Wade isn't federal law at all. It's a Supreme Court decision that is being applied to the states for their own laws. Okay? Again, the judicial branch does not make the laws, right? And so the reality is, is that if Roe is overturned, and you guys should know this, but if you don't, I'm not, I'm not dogging on you, but I, I just got need to educate you right here. If Roe v. Wade is overturned in this country, which it looks like it, it, it might be, right? Essentially, the right to abortion goes back to the states. It's a state question at that point. This idea from the left and the right, from people that just don't understand, they think if Roe v. Wade is overturned, that it outlaws abortion outright in the United States. That's obviously not the case. The other problem with that stat that people use, you know, 60 to 70 percent, is when people are actually informed about what goes on during the abortion procedure, during several of the different types of abortion procedures, they tend to react in horror and change their stances on abortion considerably almost immediately, right at that moment. Live action has kind of done this, you know, man on the street type thing. And I know there's some other conservative folks that have gone on the street and they ask people about Roe v. Wade, they ask people about abortion. People are like, yeah, you know, woman's right to choose and it's her body, her choice and blah, blah, all that. And then they show them, you know, cartoon renderings of what happens during abortion. Then they're like, oh, damn. It's like, yeah, that's what's happening. Or they'll show them, you know, a, a chart that shows the baby and kind of the, the different stances and kind of what they look like at different points. And they just ask them, at what point should we not be able to kill this? And just kind of put it right there in front of them. And they're like, oh, no. So that stat is bogus because people don't understand Roe and people don't understand the abortion procedure. But guys, let's just say for their sake, the people that are quoting this, even if that stat were true, were 100% true, that the majority of people in America are pro-abortion, which it's not, but let's just assume it's true. The Supreme Court of the United States was literally set up to not take public opinion into account when making decisions. It's supposed to be about the Constitution of the United States, which includes the Bill of Rights and, the, and any amendments, right? And that's it. Not precedent, not you know, public opinion, not Twitter sentiment, certainly. That is the judicial branch. The executive and legislative branches of government are the ones that are to cater to the whims of the public, right? So this idea that the judicial branch and the highest point of the judicial branch is supposed to be worried about what the public thinks is ridiculous. It's a ridiculous argument on its face. But also the overwhelming thing is that people are freaking out the most, like the people that you see freaking out the most on, on social media or on the news or something like that. These people already live in states that will not be affected by Roe v. Wade being overturned. If anything, you know, for these people that live in these blue states, the overturning of Roe v. Wade will make the state that they live in even more friendly to baby murder in general and the people that perform or allow the murders to begin with. So like states like Illinois and California and New York, they're already signaling that they are going to significantly liberalize their already liberal abortion laws in their states. And so when someone in New York City, someone in Manhattan's freaking out about Roe v. Wade being overturned, it's like, why do you care? Part of it is because they don't understand federalism and part of it is just because they're evil, right? But one thing that we've also seen in the last week and a half is some, let's call them squishy pro-life Christians and Republicans, now that they're seeing the writing on the wall that this is potentially about to be overturned, they're being much louder about their pro-lifeness. All of a sudden, they really seem to be beating their chest when they see that they're, uh, could, they could very easily be on the right side of this issue. Or, contrastingly, 
Some of those same people are being very, very quiet. Okay. Very, very quiet. It's kind of like what I was talking about earlier with what John Cooper pointed out. These very squishy, supposedly pro-life Republicans, supposedly pro-life Christians, these types of people, they're not really saying much. They're either being really, really loud or not saying much at all. But I need to be very, very clear about something. And this might, might get me in trouble. Perhaps you don't agree with this, but I think it's very, very clear. You cannot be truly pro-abortion and a Christian. You can't be. Those things are completely at odds with one another. The sanctity of human life is of the most basic Christian tenet that it's of value, right? So this idea that you could be pro-life, but not in certain circumstances, you know, uh, I'm pro-life with exceptions. There's no such thing. That is not a category that exists. And so I find it very, very hard to believe that you can consider yourself a child of God, that you are saved by the grace of Christ and say, yeah, but uh, those babies that are in the womb that are literally the most helpless people on the planet, right? They're not worth anything. Oh, God will take care of them or something like that. Those people aren't worthy of life because perhaps the circumstances of their conception weren't exactly perfect, right? And this is no more apparent than when Reverend Raphael Warnock, if you don't know who that is, that's the senator now from the state of Georgia who is basically allowed to be senator because Trump couldn't shut his mouth, you know, uh, during the runoff election in that state. And then, you know, two in a very, very red state, two senators are now from the Democratic Party. But Reverend Raphael Warnock, who is an absolute crazy liberal, he had this to say on Twitter right after this thing broke as a pro-choice pastor. Now, I could literally stop reading from there because you know if someone says as a pro-choice pastor that everything after it is going to be abject garbage, but for the sake of conclusion, let me go and read the rest of it. As a pro-choice pastor, I've always believed that a patient's room is way too small for a woman, her doctor, and the United States government. I'll always fight to protect a woman's right to choose, and that will never change. This is a supposed reverend of the church, a supposed Christian that says he will always fight for the right for women to be able to murder their children in the womb. Like, is this a shock to anybody, right? Anybody paying attention is certainly not a shock, okay? The other thing that we've seen in the last week and a half is that essentially zero, and I mean zero, prominent Democrats are coming out condemning the leaker or the leak, okay? And the reason is I think there's one person in the Senate, but I can't remember the person's name, who came out and said, yeah, this is ridiculous, this shouldn't happen. But because they, the, the reason is because they agree with the person that did it. They are completely okay with this leak and the leaker doing that because they agree with what they were going for. The leaker in a lot of ways who, as of right now, it's not been released to the public who that person is. Supposedly there is a you know investigation going on, but this, this leaker is going to be seen as a hero in these people's eyes. So history on the left, on the left side of the aisle, they will surely lionize this person after we eventually find out who it is. And they will, you know, think of them as a hero of the resistance or whatever stupid thing like that. And there have been many big time publications, including Politico, that are saying that this leak, which is completely unprecedented, is a good thing. It's actually a good thing. You know why? Because it, it pierces this veil of secrecy of the high court. This is the type of ideology you get from people that have never really built anything. And so they're completely okay with destroying institutional norms or business norms, or any type of thing that could be normal. It's like, well, it's been done this way for thousands of years or hundreds of years or for decades, but what if we just destroyed that and just did it this way because this way makes me feel better, right? That's where you get that ideology. Also, this is a good time to remind people that our so-called president of the United States, Joe Biden, he's not Catholic, and he's perhaps not even a Christian either because of his full-throated support for the murder of preborn babies. 
It's kind of like, like what I said earlier. This guy cannot get out of his own way. Again, he's always the center of the Democratic Party, whatever the center is. The fact is, is that the center of the Democratic Party is now wildly to the left. And so he has to basically be the guy that is OK for abortion right up to the point of birth, because that is the Democratic Party platform. But this guy seems to actually believe this. He actually seems to believe the nonsense that a woman should have a right to be able to do that, no matter what the circumstances. So you just have to, you know, kind of get that as your reminder that that's our president. That's the guy that we're going to have to deal with at least for another two years or so, two years and change. Essentially, this is a good time to mention this as well. Prominent Democrats, this was like an immediate reaction. Prominent Democrats like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and the squad members and people like that. They came out almost immediately saying that the Senate should end the filibuster and enshrine abortion rights into federal law, which is a good hint to remind you that Roe v. Wade is not a law of the land. It's just a Supreme Court decision because they're trying to enshrine something that a lot of people already thought was law. Now, I will say this, that nobody that really follows the Senate or follows Congress or politics or whatever thinks that this is going to happen. Okay. They don't think that they're going to get rid of the filibuster. They don't think that they're going to be able to enshrine this into federal law before this decision comes down. Um, you know, as of today, I'm recording this on Wednesday, the day before it comes out. Supposedly, Chuck Schumer said that they are going to put this to a vote in the Senate. But I guess today they're going to be doing a procedural vote to see if this will actually be brought to the floor of the Senate for a vote. So, you know, we'll kind of see how that goes. But I just got to be real honest with you. I'm a little afraid of what Senators Romney, Murkowski and Collins will do. If put to a vote, I, I actually am, regardless of what they're signaling in the press, because Murkowski and Collins are on the record for being fairly pro-choice, even as Republican senators. And Romney is just I just don't know how he's still a senator. I, I There's got to be somebody in the state of Utah that could take that guy out. I'm actually concerned about those three people uh, being peeled off, which would make Senator Senators Manchin and Cinema irrelevant because a lot of people are like, Joe Manchin will never go for this and Kirsten Cinema will never go for this. P- perhaps not. But I'll just kind of go with the generalized consensus, which is that this is likely not going to happen, but it will go for a vote because, you know, Democrats think that this is a winning issue for them. And so they want to make sure they get all these Republicans on the record. But also, I do think it's very rich that Democrats are talking about women's rights all of a sudden. Okay. Because can they even define what a woman is? Because this just came up recently. Kentonji Brown Jackson, who will be a justice on the Supreme Court before the year is out, she can't define what a woman is. And I've been reliably informed by her that she couldn't possibly give an answer to that question because she's not a biologist. And now all of a sudden, I didn't realize all the Democrats were going to night school. They all became biologists within a snap of a finger because most Democrats, even though they aren't biologists, so they obviously can't give us this answer, are telling us about women's rights all of a sudden because most of these Democrats think that a biological man can become a woman just by thinking it. And I thought I've been reliably informed by them that gender was not binary. Now, there's no such thing as the gender binary, right? It's a spectrum. I also have been informed by them that men could get pregnant. So what exactly are they talking about? So they put on the LGBTQ hat when it's convenient for them and when they can bludgeon the right with it, and then they take it off whenever, and then they put on their women's rights cap whenever they feel like they can bludgeon the right with it. Okay, I guess that's, you know, par for the course for them. And also, these same Democrats and their mainstream media allies, they're the first ones to lead off their arguments. Really, you've seen this in the last you know, week to 10 days. You've seen them lead off their arguments about how this is egregious because of hard cases, because of rape and incest. Now, again, go back to my episode 257, where I talk about how to deal with pro-abortion arguments, specifically the ones about rape and incest. But the reason that you've heard so many of these pundits and so many of these politicians talk about cases of rape and incest over the last week or so 
is because Democrats and leftists think that that is the only way they can win the argument. If, if they go super duper extreme and pretend as if it's the norm, because you don't do that unless you're completely worried about the foundations of your own argumentation. Because I think fundamentally they realize that they have a losing position, that their position is the crazy one, not the right, not the pro-life side of things. Theirs is a crazy position. I think they know that. Also, almost immediately, and you could see this coming a mile away, some people immediately linked this to racism and white supremacy and anti-women sentiments, which is just hilarious because anytime anything bad happens to them, that's obviously the immediate response. And there are so many farces, you know, being thrown out there by the pro-abortion crowd. But one of them is that this law being potentially, it's not a law, that this decision potentially being overturned, again, it's not even a law, uh, it will disproportionately affect women of color because apparently women of color can't have or get insurance. You've actually heard people make that argument in the last week to 10 days. Now, in addition to that being highly racist, a highly racist statement and paternalistic, any woman in the United States of America that is too poor to have insurance will be able to get coverage via the federal government, via Medicaid. What are they talking about? Now, and that is in addition to the many thousands of pregnancy resource centers that, you know, some of them used to call them, you know, crisis pregnancy centers, but pregnancy resource centers across the country that give pregnancy services and post-pregnancy services to women for free. So what are they talking about? In addition to that, abortion is disproportionately performed on black and brown babies. Like, look at the, look at the numbers. The overwhelming majority per capita of babies that are aborted in this country are black and brown. This was Margaret Sanger's goal from the beginning. And she's the, the eugenicist that founded Planned Parenthood, right? Why do you think there are so many Planned Parenthood facilities located near poor areas of the country where the populace is largely black or brown? Do you think that's an accident? Or was it part of the plan from the beginning? So I would ask these people, how is restricting abortion access and allowing more black and brown babies to be born in the United States white supremacy exactly? How does that compute? Because if we significantly restrict abortion, you would presume that less black and brown babies would be slaughtered. Isn't that a good thing? It should be a good thing, but they don't think that way. And, you know, this would be a good time to remind you that Roe v. Wade was decided in the affirmative by seven white men 50 years ago. Now it looks like it's going to be overturned by a group that includes a black man and a woman. So hooray for diversity, losers. Let's get on the next point here. Democrats and leftists are all of a sudden very, very concerned about precedent. This is super interesting. They're like, it's 50 years of precedent. Are we really going to overturn precedent because of these, you know, extremist justices and all these different things? They only care about precedent when it's in their favor. I don't think that a prominent Democrat has been asked this question in the last week to 10 days, but if they were so concerned about precedent, were they concerned about it with cases like Brown versus the Board of Education, which allowed us to integrate schools, which got rid of the standard of separate but equal? Because that was precedent for a very, very long time in this country, unfortunately, right? It should have never been there, but it was. Were, were they really concerned about precedent then? Well, of course not, because they agree with the sentiment, right? But here they disagree with sentiment. So precedent all of a sudden is like this big thing that you can't violate. Also, a lot of people are coming out saying things like, uh, you heard Whoopi Goldberg and other people, you know, talk about this. Abortion isn't easy. You know, it's, it's not a decision that women take lightly, you know, stuff like that. Now, what you are required to ask at that point of that person is, why is the decision difficult? 
Like, why isn't the decision easy? Like, could that possibly have something to do with the fact that it's not merely a medical procedure? Is it possible that it has something to do with the death of a human being? I thought Chad Prather did a great job of pointing this out on his show. Uh, I think it was, you know, yesterday or the day before, but he talked about, you can go online and literally veg out for hours watching, you know, medical, uh, you know, medical videos online, people popping zits and people getting surgeries and knee replacements and all this stuff. Can you find an abortion anywhere? Can you find a video of an abortion of a DNC happening or a DNE or a DNX? Can you find that anywhere? And the answer is, is you probably can't because they don't want you to see it. Why? Because it's not just a medical procedure. You can literally find video of almost every single other medical procedure on YouTube right now. Go look for an abortion. You're not going to be able to find it. Also, Democrats and leftist media figures are, are now trying to convince you. This is so funny. They're trying to convince you that Republicans and the Supreme Court of the United States will now be coming after gay marriage and even interracial marriage. That, oh, if they can just overturn Roe, they're going to overturn everything else. You're not going to be able to be married to, you know, you're a guy and you can't be married to a guy anymore. And all of a sudden you're not going to be able to do interracial marriage because of previous Supreme Court decisions or whatever, which is hilarious because Justice Thomas is not married to a black woman, right? So he would be literally voting against his own marriage. But again, that's just kind of a narrative they're throwing out there as a scare tactic. And in addition to that, Democrats and leftists have taken this as an opportunity to redefine what pro-life means. Now, they, they've never missed an opportunity to redefine something that will help them in their cause, but they're not calling people on my side of the issue pro-lifers anymore. They're calling us pro-birth, which, okay, yeah, I'm down with that. Sure, I'm, I'm definitely pro-birth, but they're now saying that you're not pro-life. You can't actually be pro-life if you don't loudly advocate for things that they like. So universal health care and universal paid, you know, parental leave and universal pre-K and free adoption services and fighting climate change and fighting systemic racism, whatever that is, and, you know, universal this and free that or whatever. And I think that Ben Shapiro from the Daily Wire rightly pointed this out. It would be like saying, give us all the money and all of our policy prescriptions that we want for elder care and, you know, for Medicare and for Social Security and all that, or we're going to kill all the old people. It's like, how does that make any sense at all? right? You can absolutely be pro-life and still be concerned about the, the bevy of things that I just mentioned, that whole laundry list of things that people that are typically of the left like, but they're trying to redefine it and they're just doing a piss poor job of it at this point. And really, to, if we're going to be honest about it, it's such a BS talking point to begin with, because even if that side got everything that they wanted, everything on their wish list, if every box were checked, those same people would still hold the exact same views about abortion. They would not adjust their viewpoints on abortion even one iota. So it's a BS argument to start with. In addition to that, Democrats and leftists are now saying that Republicans and pro-lifers like me are advocating for what they're calling forced pregnancy or forced birth, okay? And the reality is, is no, we're just anti-you killing people, you idiots. Like, that's what we're against. We're not for forced pregnancy. That's not even a thing. Right. And, and, you know, some are talking about it in the in the term of government mandated pregnancy. OK. And I just I'm curious, do you people know how procreation actually happens? Like because in the overwhelming majority of cases, OK, overwhelming majority, statistically, almost 100 percent of cases, the person that gets pregnant, which is a woman, by the way, whoops, they're consenting to the act that gets her pregnant. These women are not being held down and impregnated against their will by some, you know, government official. 
I mean, there's a reason why books and, and TV shows like Handmaid's Tale and stuff like that, there's a reason why those things are described in those types of arenas and those types of entertainment because it's fiction, because it's false, because it's ridiculous. No one is doing that. The United States is not forcing women to become pregnant. These women are choosing to participate in acts that lead to their pregnancy. Okay. And Matt Walsh pointed this out, which I thought that this was perfect and not enough people are actually you know, pointing stuff like this out. There are a lot of people talking about how there's nothing worse that a man can do than force women to stay pregnant and give birth. There's nothing worse that a person can do, a man can do. But the damnable thing about it is that a man can get a woman pregnant and that woman could kill that man's child without his consent and there's no recourse for him. His baby can be slaughtered and he has no legal rights to anything that happened in that situation. However, if that woman decides on her own, because she's the only one that gets a vote, if she decides on her own to give birth to that baby and that father is, he's now at that point legally liable for that child's financial well-being and has to pay child support. So the father has no rights while the baby is in the womb, but then there are perhaps some rights after birth, but you have the duty of payment now. How does that work out? How can the father have no rights to the life of his child before it's slaughtered, right? How does that work out? But again, that's the logic of the left. Now, well, this is kind of funny. We're actually now getting reports from leaders, you know, from countries outside the United States that say that they're just absolutely appalled at the thought that Roe v. Wade might get overturned. So a couple of things about that. First thing, why in the world would I care what somebody outside of our country thinks about our laws inside this country? Why would I give a damn? Why? Oh, Europeans don't really like that. Uh, okay. Well, they're in Europe. I'm here. Right? Now, there are certain laws in all these other countries because you've heard me talk about abortion laws in other countries. So it's like, Kyle, why would you care about those? Because they're killing people. That's why. Also, another point on this is many of these same people that are, you know, saying how concerned they are about this potentially being overturned, they live in countries that have much more conservative abortion laws in their countries than we do. They're way more conservative. So I saw this in a report. Uh, it was a report called U.S. Abortion Law in Comparison with the Globe, uh, the Globe. And in this report, they said, alongside Canada, China, Vietnam, and both North and South Korea, the United States is one of only six nations in the world whose national law allows abortion at any point through the entire pregnancy. Six. We're one of six nations. And guys, only three European countries, this is where we're getting all this guff from, only three European countries allow abortion after 15 weeks. There are very few states, even red states, that have laws on the books right now that keep a baby from being murdered after 15 weeks. So what are they talking about? Again, I don't care what you think about our laws. I just don't. Now, also, the media machine is really trying to get companies into the fray. Uh, you've seen them kind of kind of pull, put this pressure on companies to make a statement about this leak when no one should actually really care what a company believes. And do you know why? Because a company is not a person. It is a made, it's made up of individual people that can think whatever the hell they want to think. But the thing is, is they're using the, you know, such and such company has not released a statement on this yet as a way to coerce people into the fray because they don't want big brands and big companies to be sitting on the sidelines on this issue. They want them to come out full throated in opposition to this. Now we've seen some companies do that and you should pay attention to those companies, but I think other companies are learning from all this Disney debacle stuff in the state of Florida whenever they try to get into the, the, the fray and it's just like, wait a minute, we need you to be concerned about children's content. That's all we want you to do. 
and, and making your parks clean and fun for our families. We don't need you getting in to the fray on anything that's happening on the legislative level inside the state, right? You employ a bunch of people that can vote however the heck they want to vote, but you're not the one that has to be controlling that. But a lot of people in the mainstream media, they want to make sure they get these companies on the record. They just want to bully them, essentially. And I guess the last thing we'll get into here when it comes to just reactions and responses is all this, you know, keep your hands off our bodies stuff. A lot of these people holding up signs outside the Supreme Court and outside the justices' homes and all that. Keep the government's hands off our bodies. And the interesting thing is that the overwhelming majority, I just talked about this a second ago, the overwhelming majority of women that get into this predicament, as they would call it, are in that predicament because they let a man put their hands all over their bodies and then do a bunch of other things to them, which resulted in them getting pregnant. They're so desperate to make sure the government doesn't touch their bodies, but they're okay with some random dude right? And in a lot of these cases, it's a dude that they maybe met that day or had a really kind of a short-term relationship with. And then they allow this man to impregnate them. And then they're like, ah, government should keep their hands off my body. I want to kill this thing, right? It is just also very interesting to me to hear Democrats and leftists make the libertarian argument all of a sudden of less government intervention. All of a sudden, Democrats and leftists have libertarian tendencies, which is hilarious because their party is literally the party of government intervening in every single area of someone's life. They want there to be a mandated C word, V word. They want that to be mandated across the board. They want the government to be able to jackboot into your neighborhood and take care of business, right? That's what they want. Now, before we move off this issue, I do have some other random thoughts that I think are important. One of the biggest mistakes that we've made in modern society is separating sex from procreation. It's one of the biggest mistakes we could possibly have done because People think of pregnancy as if it's some sort of invasion or, you know, attack on their personal autonomy and, you know, their sexual liberty and freedom as opposed to this blessed outcome of sexual union between one man and one woman. And you can point to the sexual revolution, the 60s, you can point to all those different things. But the reality is, is the moment we separated those two things, it became a major problem. I think there is a great argument. You get this from a lot of, you know, Catholic theologians that part of this happened because of the, you know, overwhelming use of contraception, right? Birth control. And so when you're constantly using birth control, not only does it mess with your hormones as a person, but then you know, you're completely separating the, the sexual act from the potential of creating human life. I think it's been a big, big mistake for all of us. Now, another thing I want to kind of get into is that this will be the Democrats' excuse for ending the filibuster and for stacking the Supreme Court, which they've signaled. You know, I'm not terribly um, worried about it right now, necessarily, but I do have full faith that we will 100% see at some point in my lifetime that the Democrats are going to, you know, kill the filibuster, filibuster and then stack the Supreme Court. And what Democrats will do is they will always point back to this moment in time, this moment in history, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, and they will say, that's why. So when they're raising money and sending out emails and doing these different things and these speeches, that's what they're going to constantly point to. It's like, that's the reason why. Because look at what those evil Republicans did. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. I hope I'm wrong. But we also need to talk about the leak because everyone's talked about how it's completely unprecedented, and that is true. But the thing that most people aren't really talking about in, in very further, very much further is that the leak was a coordinated attack. And we should know this because within minutes of the Politico leak last Monday, there were already dozens, I mean, if not hundreds of people outside the Supreme Court with signs that were already made. It's kind of like when, you know, during the George Floyd riots, it's like, where did these people get these bricks? Well, ballot, you know, pallets of bricks were being delivered to street corners in all these major cities. 
It's like, do these people just keep sign materials sitting around their homes? They might, but they were ready. They were ready for this. And also all of the media narratives are ready to go as well because the media are using terms like, you know, this was released or disclosed as opposed to leaked. They're framing it completely improperly. And, you know, the, the leak is very, very egregious as well for a reason that many are talking about. And it's that the leak gives liberal politicians that currently control the White House in both houses of Congress the ability to try and force through legislation and get their ducks in a row with time to spare. So honestly, I, I agree with some people that are saying this. I think Justice Roberts should release the opinion now. Now, we can't assume that all the opinions are fully done and fully formed, but if that leak of Alito's opinion is any indication, they're they're pretty much close. They're on the precipice of this being completely finalized. So Roberts needs to just go ahead and release it because, you know, the crazy, you know, crap storm of stuff that's coming down the pike is going to come anyway. So why not just go ahead and release the opinion? Okay. But also we need to talk about the leaker. So we, again, we don't know who the leaker is right now. I'm going to guess it's somebody from Sotomayor's office, but, you know, we'll find out in time, I suppose. Almost 100% chance that the leaker came from one of the three SCOTUS justices, okay? People are floating this idea that, you know, this was done by Justice Roberts, one of his clerks, and it was this idea to try and coerce one of the other conservative justices to, to join him in a moderate opinion, which is just absolutely ridiculous. The thing is, is there's almost no chance whatsoever that the leaker acted alone. Again, it had to have come from one of the three liberal justices, but this idea that they just decided as a 20-year-old clerk or something like that, that they were just going to go and release this thing, I just don't know if I really buy that. Okay, I think this was a coordinated attack from the very top. The leaker, again, is also going to be a hero of the left. You know, history will is going to lionize this person, you know, uh, and it's just, it sets a bad precedent for the future, for future clerks. I think that they can do this and somehow get some press out of it because you can be guaranteed that the person, once they're found out, not only will they not be charged for this, they're probably going to get a book deal, right? They're probably going to get a, you know, six or seven figure book deal. Another thing that I wanted to point out about this, and it's kind of shifting gears just a little bit, Pastor Tim Keller, I guess he's not a pastor any, anymore, but a prominent pastor for a long time. Man, did he pick the wrong time to post a tweet thread about Christianity and the politics around abortion? Okay, so he posted this thread on Twitter about a week before the leak came out. Okay, so I'm going to read this thread. It's going to take me just a second. But man, you want to talk about bad timing. So here's this thread. I recently wrote about how churches should not destroy unity or fellowship over political differences. The replies show that many American evangelicals have no coherent understanding of how to relate to the Bible or how to relate the Bible to politics. Here's the original tweet. Churches must not maintain unity at the expense of the gospel. Churches should not destroy unity or fellowship over political differences. Now getting back into his thread. Here are two biblical moral norms. One, it is a sin to worship idols and any other God other than the one true God. Two, do not murder. If you ask evangelicals if they should be forbidden by law to worship any other God than the God of the Bible, they'd say, no, we allow that terrible sin to be legal. But if you ask them if Americans should be forbidden by law to abort a baby, they'd say, yes. Now, why make the first sin legal and never talk about it and the second sin illegal and, and a main moral or political talking point? At the very least, it shows a lack of knowing how to apply the Bible to politics. Since we can't simply say, if the Bible says it's sin, it should be illegal, how do we choose which morals to politically champion? Please don't say, I just want the Ten Commandments to be made law in society. That's too simplistic, and we don't do this already. The Bible tells us that idolatry, abortion, and ignoring the poor are all grievous sins, but it doesn't tell us exactly 
how we are to apply these norms to a pluralistic democracy. We are to help the poor, but the Bible doesn't tell us which political strategy, high taxes and government services versus low taxes and private charity to use. The Bible binds my conscience to love the immigrant, but it does not tell me how many illegal immigrants to admit to the United States. And this is uh, kind of where the rubber meets the road. I know abortion is a sin, but the Bible doesn't tell me the best political policy to decrease or end abortion in this country, nor which political or legal policies are most effective to that end. The current political parties will say that their policy most aligns morally with the Bible, but are allowed to debate that, and so our churches should not have disunity over debatable political differences. It is also why I've never publicly or privately told Christians who they should vote for. I have also never told anyone they should vote Democrat or Republican. Depending on the policy, we can find more or less alignment with biblical morals. I believe all Christians should be active in politics, but it is unwise to identify Christianity with any particular party. Okay, and then he linked to some other article that he wrote. So some of those sentiments I would say I agree with. But he's got a major problem, and it smacked him right in the face a week later when this happened. Because of Republican politics and Republican talking points, the murder of the unborn in this country, which, as he admitted in his tweet thread, is a sin, could now be unlawful in, in many states. It might almost be immediately unlawful in about half of the states in this country. So is he really honestly going to tell me that he has no idea what party to point people to when it comes to the issue of abortion? Because, again, the Democratic Party platform is that of abortion for any reason up to the day of birth and thereafter. That's the party platform. So no, and there's no giving on that. That is what they say. Whereas the Republicans at least say that they are for life. They are for the protection of unborn human life. So here's Timothy Keller, you know, trying to, you know, literally split the baby here so that he's, he comes off as centrist and all those things. And that's why I have such a big problem with centrists, especially these Christians, because they're just like, they're just like, oh yeah, I don't really know what we should do. And we shouldn't really align with political parties and different things like that. Yeah, you should, especially on issues like this. Because how are you going to take care of the unborn otherwise? You cannot vote for the Democratic Party and ex- expect them to oper- operate in a way that protects human life, because that's just not what they do. Now, getting on to another issue, there is a massive difference, because you've heard a lot of people using euphemisms in the last you know, 10 days. There is a massive difference between potential human life and human life with potential. So Ben Shapiro pointed this out as, the, as a distinction that it is, and it's absolutely perfect, because potential human life is a very, very important thing that people think about, but they're, they're, they're dehumanizing what's going on inside the womb because that is alive and that is human. But when you say human life with potential, it kind of frames it properly for people as they're thinking through this issue. Now, I disagreed with something that Ben Shapiro said. Now I'm going to kind of disagree with him somewhat on something. And I'm going to disagree with, you know, many other conservative commentators as well. They do not think that Democrats are making Okay, so they think that Democrats trying to campaign on this issue in the midterms is a loser for the Democrats, okay? Now, I think that it might be whistling past the graveyard a little bit for conservatives and Republicans to think that people will not vote mainly on this issue in November, that they will vote on issues of inflation or jobs or, or whatever. Now, they might, up be, might end up being right. These conservative commentators might end up being right. But I don't think that we've seen anything yet in reference to the backlash that we will see if the official decision comes down uh, the way that it's being signaled, okay? Because a lot of people vote with their hearts, not with their heads, okay? Now, 
with the price of gas and inflation at the grocery store and all these different things, that might be enough to get you distracted from, from some of the heart things. And, you know, um, We've kind of seen this with people moving to other states. And I've talked about this a lot on this podcast. Like, you know, people in Texas are like, hey, don't California my Texas or, you know, hey, don't New York my Florida or something like that. The problem is a lot of these people are leaving states because of Democratic policies, but they still are Democrats. They're socially liberal people. And so when it comes down to, you know, abortion or LGBTQ issues or immigration or any of these, you know, heartfelt issues, these people aren't all of a sudden going to be clicking into, well, what about tax policy or fiscal policy? Part of it because they don't understand. And part of it too, is because it's not as emotional for them. It feels bad whenever they're spending twice as much at the pump or at the grocery store that they used to, but they don't know how that directly applies to something. And guess what? That doesn't make it into the campaign emails, even for the people that they end up voting for. Okay. Now, so far, the generic congressional ballots that people are talking about have not moved almost at all in the last week and a half, but it might actually, if this goes through. So just remember guys, just go back a couple of years to how easy it was for the world and the, the democratic party and the mainstream media and black lives matter to get everyone on the planet riled up after George Floyd died in while he was in police custody. It was super easy. It's like they just turned on a spigot. So never mind the facts of the case, but you're telling me that that same group of people can't all of a sudden do that again if Roe v. Wade is overturned? So again, I, I tend to agree with some of these conservative commentators that it's not going to be able to overturn this potential red wave that's happening in November, but I don't think we should be taking it lightly either. Now, also, more than ever, this is going to make conservatives and Christians that live in blue states really, and I mean really, rethink whether they want to live there long-term, to live in these states long-term. So. Maybe the lockdowns didn't bother you. You know, maybe that didn't do it for you. Maybe the woke ideology in the schools didn't do it for you. You know, maybe the LGBTQ stuff in public schools didn't do it for you. Will baby murder do it for you? Is that going to be enough to, to knock you off? So that's going to be a big question that a lot of conservatives and Christians that live in these blue states are going to have to, you know, ask themselves pretty soon because their state tax dollars are going to directly go to potentially funding women to be flown into their state to kill their babies. Are they going to be down with that? I mean, we'll have to see. So another thought here is that if Roe is overturned, the fight is just beginning. This is very, very important. If Roe is overturned, the next fight is the fight for full criminalization of abortion in all 50 states. Okay? So these disturbances that we saw at church services and, you know, protests outside of justices' homes and vandalism that we saw over the weekend, you know, these vandalism of pro-life facilities, I think there was one in Wisconsin, is going to be nothing compared to what we'll see if this gets overturned. So this idea that it's, it's overturned and it's done with, don't be so naive, okay? Now, for me personally, I'm okay with Republicans fighting for a federal ban on abortion, but I don't see that actually happening. I don't think Republicans will even push for that. I mean, go back to 2016, you had Trump in the White House and both houses of Congress, and they didn't really pass any pro-life legislation whatsoever, right? And if this actually does go through, this overturning of Roe v. Wade, all the people that are focusing on abortion or all the people that I guess have been focusing on abortion at the state level as opposed to the federal level, they're going to come out looking like geniuses. There are some organizations like In Abortion Now and things like that. They never really looked at advocating it for it on a federal level. They weren't advocating in Washington. They were advocating in the individual state houses. Because some of these you know, pro-life states, they're going to be caught flat-footed if this gets overturned because the laws on the books in their states are still going to allow for a bunch of baby murder. So the people that have been focusing on the states, man, they're going to come off looking amazing. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, some women, this is just kind of what we have to think about if this gets overturned, some women in the United States will now just be slightly inconvenienced in the process of using baby murder as their birth control, which you might be like, oh, that's crazy. What about rape and incest? What about all these hard cases? That is not most cases. It's almost zero. 
cases. It's not zero, so the, those those situations do matter. But again, go back to episode 257 on this podcast. I go through all of this. The overwhelming majority of abortions in this country take place because of convenience. Oh, it's not a good time right now, or I already have too many kids, or I don't know who the dad is, or you know, I just want to finish school and all that. It's for convenience. It has nothing to do with these hard cases. So now a woman in, in Texas you know, who can't go to Louisiana and can't go to Oklahoma and maybe can't go to this state or that state, she'll just fly over those states to go to Colorado or, you know, Illinois or something like that in order to kill her baby. But this is the big thought as we kind of wrap up this discussion. You know, we spent almost an hour talking about this discussion on, you know, the pro-abortion and pro-life issue. And I think that's very, very important. More than ever, you should understand that this is true. Elections have consequences. My goodness, do elections have consequences? Because guys, if Hillary Clinton were elected president in 2016, none of this would be happening. We wouldn't be discussing this. If, if Trump didn't get into office and then get three picks for the high court, none of this would be happening. We wouldn't be talking about this. Roberts would matter a whole lot. Okay. And also, if Donald Trump didn't nominate people that would be solid votes against Roe, none of this would be happening. And again, I've got my issues with Donald Trump. And as we get closer to the midterms, I'm going to make a lot of you mad out there because of the bad things I say about your boy. But this, remember I said this when you get mad later, this almost assuredly makes Donald Trump. And I think I said this in episode 305, believe it or not, one of the greatest presidents ever and the most pro-life president in American history, more than Reagan. Okay. And I talk about this every time I talk about the pro-life issue with Donald Trump. Personally, I do not see the evidence that he is pro-life in his personal ideology and philosophy. I don't see that. This is a guy that was a Democrat, a leftist for much of his life until he decided he wanted to run for president and then all of a sudden he's pro-life. Now, because of that, I think it's important for you to realize that you should care way more about legislation than heartfelt conviction. Because if he went with his heart, he wouldn't have put the justices on the Supreme Court that he did. He wouldn't have nominated them rather, right? And his legislation wouldn't have reflected his heartfelt convictions either. So the same thing could be true because you hear a lot of Democrats, they try to split the baby this way, all pun intended, that, hey, I'm pro-life in my personal life, but I'm not going to legislate that way because I don't think that that's right to push my morals on other people. They're ignoring the fact that all legislation is certain people's moralities being pushed onto other people, right? But think of a guy like Joe Biden who pretends to be pro-life, but he legislates in a very, very pro-baby murder type of a way. So I don't care if you actually feel pro-life in your heart. I care how you legislate. I mean, go back to the first four books of Nehemiah. This was a guy that acted very, very much so politically in order to you know, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Again, go back and read the first four chapters. It's absolutely incredible. And so last thought on this, I promise, promise, last thought on this. And this is going to be nice to say. I really like this. To all the pro-abortion people that would snicker at pro-life people and our outrage over the Roe v. Wade decision and all of our outrage over the last 50 years, How does it taste? How does that taste? I mean, this deal isn't done yet, so we we can't spike the ball quite yet. But how does that vitriol taste in your mouth? Now, just know, leftists that are mad about all this, that now you get the chance to freak out, that your vitriol is based on an immoral worldview, whereas ours is based in a moral Christian ethic. You are on the wrong side of this. And history will find you out. 
All right, guys, let's go to the quick hitter segment here. So we're going to be shifting gears to a lot of other things, and we'll try to go through this since we've already gone a little bit long today. They won't be typically this long. Wokeness on college campuses in Oklahoma. Okay, so I'm going to talk about three different college campuses and some stuff that's happening here. So I'm going to start with one that I have not been able to completely completely corroborate, but I'm just going to throw it out there to you. So this is at the University of Oklahoma in Norman. So at the University of Oklahoma, in my understanding, and again, I haven't been able to corroborate this. I'm trying to get this to bedrock, but I wasn't able to do it before the podcast show today. That in order to get certain parts of federal funding, uh, the University of Oklahoma, OU, had to do DEI training. Okay, so that's diversity, equity, and inclusion training for their faculty and staff. And they made it non-mandatory. But since they made it non-mandatory, basically nobody signed up for it and they were you know, having trouble getting their funding. So they made it mandatory. Okay. Now, again, I'm only going to talk about that a little bit because I've not been able to corroborate that. So if I've said something incorrect here, I do want to go back later and correct the record. But that is my understanding of something that's happening at the University of Oklahoma is mandatory DEI training in order for people to get funding. And that could also affect people being able to get raises or not. Then we need to move over to Oklahoma State University, OSU, in Stillwater, and this is according to Adam Sabies over at Fox News. Oklahoma State University hosted a drag queen story hour for kids as young as two years old earlier in April. The event, Drag Queen Story Hour, which took place on April the 9th, was part of Oklahoma State University's Pride 2022 month. A description for the event stated that Ami Reddo and Olivia Lycan, two drag performers, would read books that highlight inclusion and acceptance. The books featured will be Read a Crayon Story by Michael Hall and Speak Up by Miranda Paul. The description stated, The activities during the Drag Queen Story Hour were geared towards children aged two, again, two to eight, but said all ages are welcome to join in on the fun. So presumably that means below the age of two. The Oklahoma State University Museum of Art and the Oklahoma State University OSU Office of Multicultural Affairs hosted the event. Okay, so those things happen quite a bit. So that happens on the state at Oklahoma State University in a very, very, you know, red part of the country. This is, you know, kind of cowboy country and farmer country. It happened on that campus. But not to be outdone, the University of Central Oklahoma, which is in Edmond, Oklahoma, which is my alma mater, uh, I got sent something that uh, from a person that was affiliated with the university. They forwarded me a survey that was meant for UCO students, faculty, and staff, current students, faculty, and staff. Uh, the survey was called Research Study About Memory Laws. Okay, so I'll read the description of the study here. You are invited to participate in a research study about memory laws, which have been described as government actions designed to guide public interpretation of the past. Such measures work by asserting a mandatory view of historical events, by forbidding the discussion of historical facts or interpretations, or by providing vague guidelines that lead to self-censorship. The focus of this survey will be on the intellectual and academic freedom on university campuses, specifically on critical race theory and the banning of books. We focus on UCO where we will ask questions regarding these areas to all staff, students, and faculty. So I guess this is being headed up by a political science professor named John Wood. So a poli sci professor at UCO named John Wood. Now, here were some of the questions that were asked, and I took screenshots of this so I can, you know, I got the receipts. But have you ever heard about critical, have you ever learned about critical race theory in the classroom? How familiar are you with critical race theory? Do you agree or disagree with the principles of critical race theory? Please describe critical race theory in your own words. How familiar are you with the controversy about critical race theory? And then from what you know, is critical race theory taught in public schools? That is elementary schools and high schools. Okay. If yes, what makes you think so? So I actually filled out this survey. Now, to be honest, I'm not a current student, faculty, or or staff member of the University of Central Oklahoma, but I did find it as a great opportunity to go ahead and have my voice heard. So whenever they asked, is critical race theory taught in public schools? This was my response. 
It is certainly taught in the public school system, but the left is adept enough to not call it Intro to Critical Race Theory or CRT 101. That's how hosts on CNN and MSNBC or journalists at Vox or the New York Times can claim, see, there's nothing in the curriculum that even says critical race theory. It's a complete obfuscation of reality by being incredibly liberal with their definitions. Children are being taught to see the world through a racial lens. The reality is that school-aged children are being taught that if they are white, that they are automatically an oppressor, and that if they are a minority of any kind, that they are the oppressed. This leads to Maoist-style struggle sessions where children are being asked or forced to apologize for their immutable characteristics or to ask forgiveness for the wrongs that they themselves and likely no one in their family tree has perpetrated. The, this line that opponents of CRT just don't want slavery to be taught in schools is absolute hogwash. I've literally never talked to or seen a single person that thinks CRT is evil and wrong, which it is, and also thinks that we shouldn't teach our children about the evils of slavery in the United States. Literally not one. Children should be taught about slavery 100%. The entire truth about slavery, i.e. how involuntary labor was part of every culture in, the, in world history, and is part of many cultures today, how almost every single type of person or people group was once enslaved, how black Africans participated in and profited off of the slave trade, how there were many black slave owners in the United States, how the biggest uniqueness of American slavery was not that we had it, but that we were one of the first countries to abolish it, etc. Critical race theory is downstream of critical legal studies, which is downstream from postmodernism, which is downstream from critical theory, which is downstream from the Frankfurt School, which is downstream from cultural hegemony, which is downstream from conflict theory, which is downstream from Marxism. Okay, and I think that was hegemony. I said hegemony, but it's hegemony. So that was my response to that question. But even after that point, the questions got pretty interesting. So we got to a section where you had to answer either strongly support, somewhat support, somewhat oppose, strongly oppose to several of these statements. Now, many of the statements were, were pointed, but they were fine, you know, like teaching public school students or university students about racism and its impact. You know, what do you, would you say you agree or disagree with that? You know, public school or university programs to encourage greater diversity, you know, you can agree or disagree with that. But there were two statements that were just dripping, and I mean dripping with BS, and they just had to make me laugh. So one of the statements was removing public schools or, or removing public school or university library books that make white people uncomfortable. And then the next question was removing public school or university library books that make heterosexual people uncomfortable. So you were supposed to answer whether or not you strongly agreed or somewhat agreed or disagreed with those two questions. I mean, could you frame those in any more inappropriate way that somehow it's this homogenous group of white people or heterosexual people that are doing these supposedly terrible things. So I thought that that was, that was really, really funny. But what's not funny is the fact that I need to talk about this. And the reason why I'm talking about this with OU, OSU, and UCO is because Oklahoma is one of the reddest states in America right now. I think since, uh, since George W. Bush, every single county has voted red in every single general election. But college campuses are safe havens for liberals and leftists and the woke. Okay, they're not safe havens for free thought and freedom of expression. They're just not. And so for you, for any of you people that live in Oklahoma, I know there's a lot of people in Oklahoma that listen to the show. Don't just trust that the school you're sending your kids to or that you're attending yourself thinks the way that you do or even allows thinking the way that you do. We've got to be very, very careful about where we send our kids. That's why I think I've talked about this on the show. We're not going to be encouraging our boys to go to college. We're not going to be discouraging them either, but we're not going to be presenting that as the only option for when they turn 18. 
Because why would we save a bunch of money or why would they work to make a bunch of money to pay for an indoctrination in a very, very specific type of ideology? Because just sending them to college in a red state isn't going to solve the issue. All right, next quick hitter here, a unanimous SCOTUS decision on religious liberty that no one is talking about. So this is according to John Element and Gal Laton at the Boston Globe. A unanimous U.S. Supreme Court ruled Monday that the city of Boston violated the First Amendment rights of a Christian group by refusing to fly a flag bearing a cross outside of City Hall in 2017. In a ruling written by retiring Justice Stephen Breyer, the high court said that Boston was wrong to deny camp constitution run by West Roxbury resident Harold Shirtliff, I guess, a permit to raise a white banner with a red Christian cross in connection with Constitution Day on September the 17th, the date the United States Constitution was signed in Philadelphia in 1787. We conclude that on balance, Boston did not make the raising of flying uh, raising and flying of private groups flags a form of government speech, Breyer wrote. That means in turn that Boston's refusal to let Shirtleff and Camp Constitution raise their flag based on its religious viewpoint abridged their freedom of speech. It was the only time the city refused to fly a flag, having approved 284 requests from various countries, causes, businesses, and organizations between 2005 and 2017, the court said. The American Civil Liberties Union and the Biden administration have filed briefs supporting camp constitution in this case. So here's why this case is interesting. The Supreme Court voted unanimously, 9-0, to zero, against the city of Boston. Okay, so... Actually, to be honest, unanimous decisions aren't that rare when it comes to SCOTUS decisions, but ones dealing with religion are, they typically are a little bit more rare to be nine, nothing, especially when three of the liberal justices act more like activists than justices. Also, the city of Boston thought that they could get away with this. That's the only reason why they did it. So they tried to say that they thought they were doing the right thing because they didn't want it to look like religious speech was, you know, endorsed by the government, but that's total BS. That's not the way they thought about it. And also of note with the story, right after the decision was announced by the Supreme Court, Salem's Satanic Temple, they're going to apply to fly their flag above Boston City Hall. So there's that. All right, let's get into the next quick hitter here. The baby formula shortage that until this week, no one was talking about. So this is according to, gosh, these names are going to be hard. Uh, Parisia Cavalans and Ramashah Maruf at CNN Business. Okay, we made it through. Here we go. For months, stores nationwide have been struggling to stock enough baby formula. Manufacturers say they're producing at full capacity and making as much formula as they can, but it's not enough to meet current demand. The out-of-stock rate for baby formula hovered between 2 and 8% in the first half of 2021, but began rising sharply last July between November, the 20, November 2021 and early April 2022. The out-of-stock rate jumped to 31%, data from Dates Assembly showed. That rate increased another 9% percentage points in just three weeks in April and now stands at 40%. The statistics, uh, the statistics show that in six states, Iowa, South Dakota, North Dakota, Missouri, Texas, and Tennessee, that more than half of baby formula was completely sold out during the week starting April the 24th, Data Assembly said. And although seven states had between 40 and 50% of baby formula products out of stock as of early April 26, states are now struggling with supply. This issue has been compounded by supply chain issues, product recalls, and historic inflation, Data Assembly CEO Ben Reich said. Unfortunately, given the unprecedented amount of volatility in the category, we anticipate baby formula to continue to be one of the most affected products in the market. The shortage has been exacerbated by the Food and Drug Administration shutdown of an Abbott nutrition facility in Sturgis, Michigan. Abbott is a major producer of baby formula. In February, the United States Food and Drug Administration recalled three brands of powdered baby formula made by the company due to potential bacterial infections, including salmonella. The agency advised parents not to buy or use certain batches of similiac 
Alimentum, and Elecare powdered infant formulas, all Abbott brands. So here's the thing about this. There's a lot of confusion going on in the country. There's a lot of things to be outraged about. There are a lot of people that are outraged about a lot of things in this country. How many times have you heard people talk about the baby formula shortage? Because if you've got people in your real life that don't even pay attention to the news, don't listen to podcasts, but they have a baby, they're worried about this. And people automatically came out and said, oh, this isn't that big a deal. You know, you can just make baby formula at home and it's, no, it's really not that big a thing. Have you ever tried breastfeeding? These are clearly people that have never breastfed. These are clearly people that have never been married to somebody that breastfeeds. This is clearly someone that has never dealt with the fact that they can breastfeed, but they need to supplement with formula or their baby has some sort of an allergy and they have this very, very specific type of a formula, typically expensive, that they have to get for their baby in order for their baby to eat. And so now we have CVSs and Walmarts across the country that are only allowing you to buy two or three deals of your, of your powder formula. We've heard reports of women driving all over states that they live in trying to find baby formula. But just think about this. They're trying to find food for their child. I can't feed Elijah Thompson, uh, who's two months old. I can't feed him a steak. I can't, you know, feed him a, a pouch, you know, a fruit pouch or something like that. I can't even give the baby water at this point. That baby has to be fed either by his mother's breast milk or by formula. Those are the only two options or he dies. This isn't a massive, massive deal. And just recently we sent $40 billion more over to Ukraine for assistance over there, which you can debate whether that was a good thing or not. That would have bought a lot of baby formula. That would have been able to buy a lot of, you know, uptick in production in some of these areas. But I guess we're just not worried about babies potentially starving in this country. So before we get off this issue, I do do just want to let you know, put this out on your Facebook, put it out on your Twitter or something like that. Ask around if there are women in your area that need help finding baby formula, because the next time you go to CVS or, or Walgreens or Walmart or something like that, if you can find the baby formula that a woman in your area needs, buy it and just give it to her. Don't make her pay you back. Just bless her in that way. I bet you'll be shocked if you put that out there on your social media, the amount of people that you'll get to respond. That's a great, easy way to bless people. All right, next quick hitter here. The FDA is restricting the J&J C-word, V-word because of life-threatening blood clot issues. And I, I'm just going to ditch it. I'm going to talk about the COVID vaccine because I can't you know, talk in code the entire time. So this is according to CBS News. U.S. regulators on Thursday, that's May 6th, strictly limited who can receive Johnson & Johnson's COVID-19 vaccine due to the ongoing risk of rare but serious blood clots. The Food and Drug Administration said the shot should be only given to adults who cannot receive a different vaccine or specifically request J&J's vaccine. U.S. authorities for months have recommended that Americans start their COVID-19 vaccination use uh, to use the Pfizer or Moderna shots instead. FDA officials in the statement said that they decided to restrict J&J's vaccine after taking another look at the data on the risk of life-threatening blood clots within two weeks of vaccination. J&J's vaccine was initially considered an important tool in fighting the pandemic because it required only one shot, but the single dose option proved less effective than two doses of Pfizer or Moderna vaccines. In December, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommended prioritizing Moderna and Pfizer shots over J&Js because of its safety issues. Previously, U.S. officials had treated all three vaccines similarly because they'd each been shown to offer strong protection. So this should be a shock to nobody. Because this was a vaccine cycle that was rushed, started with the Trump administration and right into the Biden administration. We shouldn't be shocked that this is happening. The shocking part is that we're not really finding out about this until now. How many people have died because of the vaccines? How many people 
have had major, major health issues caused by the vaccine. And these are other people that would have otherwise been just fine having gotten COVID and gotten over it and gotten natural immunity. It's a big issue. And right now, there are so many things to distract us from other stories. You know, we've got the Roe v. Wade stuff. We've got Elon Musk buying Twitter. We've got the stuff going on in Ukraine. All of a sudden, people aren't talking about this anymore. Dr. Fauci isn't on TV every day talking about this anymore, but it's still a big deal. And hopefully, and it's probably going to take a complete change of Congress and the White House, that we get some investigations into what the CDC did during this time. But again, most of these companies, or really all the companies that created this, you know, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, they've been given immunity. And they're not even going to have to post a lot of their numbers in some cases for decades. But it's something that we do need to keep paying attention to. All right, we got the last quick hitter here. The CDC has been tracking U.S. citizens. Right. So here's a shock of all shocks. So this is according to Theo Waite at The New York Post. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention use location data from tens of millions of Americans phones to track compliance with lockdown orders and vaccination efforts, according to newly revealed documents. The CDC specifically monitored Americans visits to churches and schools, as well as detailed counts of visits to participating pharmacies for vaccine monitoring internal documents from the federal agency obtained by vice show. The CDC also reported tracked people's movements during curfews and visits between neighbors. A controversial data broker called SafeGraph initially provided the data to the CDC for free during the outbreak of the pandemic, the documents show. Then in 2021, the CDC reportedly hatched a deal to pay the company $420,000 for continued access. The CDC argued that the documents are in the documents that data from SafeGraph, which is backed by tech billionaire Peter Thiel and ex-Saudi intelligence chief Turkey bin Faisal al-Saud, among other investors, helped the agency deeper or deeper in get deeper insights into the pandemic as it pertains to human behavior. So a lot of people like to talk about privacy and all those different things. And I think I've been on record before by saying if the government is spying on me, they're just going to be super bored most of the time. There's not going to be anything there. But I do think a general idea of privacy and the general lack of privacy is, is a bad thing. But the idea of privacy is a good thing. But this should make all of us pretty angry because the CDC obviously had no authority to do this. It is not their business whether or not we go to our neighbor's house, whether or not we go to church, whether or not we defy lockdown orders. That is not their business. But again, under the Biden administration, it became their business. It became big business for them. I mean, just think about the amount of palms that got greased from the CDC, from these companies that created the vaccines and were in control. Think about all the politicians that created these lockdowns. Think about the rich people that got way, way, way richer because all of a sudden all their mom and pop competition died on the vine because of all these restrictions and these backouts. It's the same thing that I talked about with the previous quick hitter. We've got to make sure that there is a full accounting of what happened between 2020 and really until today. And it may not happen very soon, but eventually there's got to be an accounting of things that have happened. Because the egregious evils and wrongs that were done to the American populace and really populations around the globe is horrific. And hopefully we get to the bottom of it at some point. Now, to wrap up from the top of my podcast, I gave you Matthew 12, 22. Then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. So here's the thing. There's a 100% chance that demons are operating amongst us. Okay. Scripture tells us as much. So if you believe in scripture, you have to believe that. And they are certainly working in this Roe v. Wade issue. And this is a good time to remind you that we're not alone in this fight. That God is in total and complete control. That his angels are are part of that total and complete control. So things are going to get dark probably this summer, especially if this goes the way that leftists hope it doesn't, right? But we can rest in the fact that God is ultimately in control. Remember that. 
Do not forget it. Constantly dwell on it. All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost at Undaunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So I've got a bunch of links for you today. I've got a link to the Undaunted Life website where you can go to our shop and get some of our gear. I've got a link to episode 257 of this podcast called How to Engage Pro-Abortion Arguments. And then I mentioned that article from the Family Research Center, the U.S. Abortion Law in Comparison to the Globe. I've got that here. I've got a link to the Tim Keller tweet thread. And then I've also got a link to all the stories that I talked about in the Quick Hitters segment. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to this show. We do appreciate it wherever you're listening to this. Please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also, we want to thank the band August Brins Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.